What did you eat for breakfast? I don't eat breakfast. I don't either. Yeah. Oh, no, I had cereal this morning. I had cereal. Okay. Welcome to Music on Your Own Terms, the podcast that aims to help musicians develop an entrepreneurial mindset through interviews, as well as discussing resources, concepts, successes, and more. Providing a platform to talk about negative emotions such as anxiety and depression in order to help overcome them in the context of music and reduce the social stigma. This is episode 134. This episode is sponsored by Ignite Your Music Career. You may remember in episode 90, I chatted to Craig Dodge about sync licensing and how he makes a living through writing music for TV, video games, and film. Musicians all over the world subscribe to Ignite Your Music Career and earn more royalties, more upfront sync fees, and more recurring revenue from their music. Whether you're a composer, singer-songwriter, band, beatmaker, or instrumentalist, your music can be earning you more money. Internationally acclaimed composer, musician, and music educator Craig Dodge has licensed his music in more than 1,000 TV show episodes, films, video games, and ads all over the world, and he will show you how you can too. Ignite gives you the information you need in a simple, accessible format, and you learn at your own pace. For just $6 a month, you get a video lesson each week on topics related to music licensing, from writing techniques to how to find your markets, and everything in between. You also get tools and activities to build the skills you need to be successful, and each lesson includes a royalty-free sound pack to download and use in your own music. The key to success in the music business today is to diversify your sources of revenue. Ignite will show you how. For more information or to subscribe to Ignite, visit the website at taris-studios.com or click the link on musiconyourownterms.com. Joining me for this episode is New Jersey-based band ScreenAge who have recently released their second album, DNR, a concept album about the seven stages of life. Emily and Sam talk us through how they got into music and their respective instruments, and how the band came about. We also learn that they are constantly keeping tabs on current trends in the music business, always increasing their knowledge of the business side of music, playing out live and building a following, all in order for them to be able to make a living from music once they graduate college. This is definitely an inspiring conversation with a young band that have a great sound and a strong foundation for a successful career ahead of them. If you enjoy the podcast and want to show your support, I'd be really grateful if you would consider signing up for the mailing list to stay in the loop with everything going on with the show. Just head over to musiconyourownterms.com and click the link. While you're there, you can also visit the store and grab some merch, or just buy me a coffee and help out with the running costs of the show. Thanks for listening. I just wanted to give you guys a heads up that next week from Wednesday 8th to Saturday 11th, September 2021, is the Music Pro Summit hosted by Indie Week. I chatted to Daryl Hers back in episode 113 about the Indie 101 conference which I also attended. I found it to be extremely valuable both in terms of the information I got from each session, but also the networking opportunities and friendships that came out of interacting with all the attendees in the community chats and the video meetups. 
Go to musicprosummit.com to check it out and grab your tickets, and I hope to see you there. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Sam and Emily from the band Screen Age. How are you guys doing? Great. How are you? I'm very well. So yeah, you, you guys are from New Jersey, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, if you wouldn't mind just starting us off, telling us a bit about the band and you know what you guys sound like. Uh, sure. So we are Screen Age. We are you know an indie, indie alternative pop rock band. We are kind of based in central Jersey around Edison, Freehold, those towns, but we play a lot of shows in, mm-hmm. in Asbury and places like that. And we just put out our second album called DNR. It's up on all, you know, Spotify, YouTube, everything like that. So if you like that kind of indie alternative sound, check it out. Awesome. Yeah, I was actually just listening to a couple of tracks and I, I really like Wilting. Mm. It's got a very Pink Floyd, almost, I think a mix of Pink Floyd, Shine On You Crazy Diamond with like Layla from Eric yes. Clapton. It's yeah. really That's cool. It. Exactly what we were going for. So yeah, no, a re- really good song. Yeah, tell tell me more about the album because I read in your bio something about how it's it's the seven stages of life and it's talking about how you know the, ha- to help people f- feel they're less alone in the world. So tell me all about that because my obviously the podcast is all about mental health, so that's that's totally up my street. Yeah. So DNR is essentially. A concept album about life and the seven stages that we kind of coined ourselves with DNR meaning do not resuscitate. And we chose that name because we wanted to discuss life in the sense that we'd write about it where your life was, you know, so fulfilling and you feel so satisfied by the end that when it does come time for you to go, that you have no problem telling someone to let you go in that way. Mm -hmm. And so we start the album with North Star, which is a song about birth and about being Uh, welcomed into the world in the beginning and we go all the way through to uh, wilting into rest which represents uh, death and passing on and so each song represents a different stage of life whether that was the beginning or childhood or college years midlife crises things like that and basically what our goal was when we came to writing this was we realized that the the concept of life is pretty broad and pretty complex so we figured, you know, when it comes to experience life, life itself, it can be even more so complex and, and very technical and, and things like that. So we thought if we wrote about it, then hopefully people who are, you know, going through life and things like that, they could listen to it and, and find some sort of solace or some sort of version of company mm. where they could, you know, feel less alone and, and have things to relate to. Fantastic. So if you don't mind me asking, what's the average age of the band? 20. Yeah. How, how did you guys become so insightful at such a young age? <laughs> um, dumb luck. <laughs> awesome. Let's find out where you guys came from, how you got into your respective instruments. You know, where did it all start for you? So we, three out of the four members started and met each other in a music school where through there we got to do a lot of awesome performances and, and really cultivate what we loved about our, our instruments and things like that. And so through there, I, I, you know, obviously loved performing and things like that. And I realized that I couldn't get enough of it. So I asked Sam and Alex, the guitarist of the band, to join a band outside of the school mm. so we could do a lot more performing and a lot more writing for ourselves. So we started that in 2015. And then our bassist, Joey, who went to my high school and we've been childhood friends, uh, he joined in in like 2018. And since then, we've basically just been writing and performing all around Jersey, sometimes going into New York and, and PA, basically just trying to, you know, get this kind of flow where we're 
you know, really in sync with each other and, and writing music that, you know, speaks to us and speaks to all the people we care about. So ever since then, it's been a pretty cool ride. Awesome. So let's start with you, Emily. Where, how did you start, you know, music in the first place? How old were you and what got you into it? Sure. Yeah, I was, well, I, I can't really remember a distinct age, but my family is very musical. My, my grandmother was a famous pianist and singer from Ireland, and she came over here and played at like Carnegie Hall and did all these awesome things. And oh, wow. uh, because of that, my, my dad is also very, you know, he adores the piano and he plays it amazingly. And so having those kinds of figures in my life from the very beginning, it kind of very much influenced me to, to really get into music myself. And so I've been singing and playing piano and guitar for as long as I can remember. And then when I got introduced to the music school, it was really like an outlet for me to actually perform and, and show people what I can do on stage. Mm. So since then, it's kind of just been consistently just falling more in love with music. Awesome. Sam, what about you? Yeah, so I probably, um, you know, from being around my dad, who is very musical and, you know, he plays guitar. And so when I was probably five, you know, he would say, you know, go on and play the drums, give it a shot. Uh -huh. And obviously he wasn't very good when I was five, but, you know, I kept at it, started taking lessons at the music school and from there on picked up other instruments like the bass and the saxophone and, you know, through through the music school and now in college, you know, I'm just able to, you know, play any any show I get and just keep trying to get better at my instruments. Fantastic. Yeah, I I did hear um, it was something about sun, somebody's sunburn. Stella's sunburn. What was that? Stella's sunburn. So yeah. I, I realized that was an older track and I definitely hear a, a, quite a, a difference between the two. That almost sounds like a. It was recorded in the 60s. It's got this really old school vibe, but I definitely see or hear a maturity in DNR versus that. Tr I mean, this is based on just a couple of tracks, but there's definitely a big difference. And you recorded DNR in a, a studio with a producer. Is that correct? Yeah, we recorded Stella Sunburn off the album Station 42 with just family. Sam's brother was our producer and engineer for that one. So we went mm. to Drexel University and we recorded it there. And then for this album, we met... Our producer Stephen Diacutis, who has like tons of different accolades in the music industry, who lives like five minutes away, and we went to his uh, at-home studio and recorded everything there. Awesome, that's great. Are you guys making a living from music at this point, or is it still kind of early days yet? It's tough because we're also still in college. Oh, okay. And, so you're not you know, we're yet. yeah, so we're still spending a lot of time on our school and also just trying to you know work better. Uh, as musicians and as a band so you know the most we get out of it is you know getting paid from shows and stuff you know we aren't really at the point where this is our full-time thing yet no but you're in a perfect position because you're, you're you've got a very good quality output and i'm sure playing all around especially where you're located you're gonna find you're building a lot of fans just just especially if you're going into new york that's obviously a, a really good place to be so mm -hmm. yeah i mean one thing that uh, did strike me when i was listening to some of the tracks was i think uh, and this is just a suggestion you can you know ignore it completely but i'm i'm a huge fan of uh, tears for fears i have been since i was really small but i think your style would lend itself really well to a cover mm -hmm. uh, and not necessarily one that's been played to death Obviously, Mad World and, and a couple of others, uh, uh, Shout, uh, uh, the very well-known ones. But I was thinking something like Woman in Chains would, would lend itself well to your style. So 
might be something you, you you'd be interested in it in doing but definitely i've never posed some tears of fears oh yeah yeah so yeah anyway that that i thought was uh i maybe i'm just on a tears for fears kick lately that could be the reason why but yeah so what what are your plans for the future of the band after this release is it is there any specific well actually i'll take that back what are the specific strategies you're using for this album or is this your kind of do stuff to see what happens kind of thing I think our first album was more of like a do stuff and see what happens just because this was the fir- it was just the first album that we ever put out. Mm. So we just wanted to really start, you know, saying to people, hey, we've been in this band for a while, but now we finally have something out. With DNR, it's more of like we want to make sure that people know that we've progressed since then and that we're still here and we're still, you know, fighting really hard to make this eventually our full-time careers like we would want. Mm. So with DNR, it was more about us trying to really cultivate our sound and make sure that what we were putting out we were 100% like super super proud of just like station 42 and so with this we have we're doing a lot more differently than last time just because we were very we're much younger when we put out station 42 so now we have a lot more insight into what it takes for uh, the music industry and, and things like that so we have a lot of different you know, ad programs and we're creating different press kits and and reaching out to different blogs and interviewers to try and get the word out because, you know, we feel really strongly that this album is is worth people's time. So we hope that by putting all this effort into it, we can kind of catapult it into something where they can really listen to it on a larger platform kind of thing. For sure. Who are you paying attention to in terms of marketing influences or music business kind of people that that put stuff out like Ari Herstand or or uh, Adam Ivy being two of them who 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 are you gravitating towards right now Yeah so Ari Herstand we've been kind of tailing him for a while we I read his 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 book just a few summers ago as sort of like an intro to like you have to know all the stuff mm, that's in this book right. and same with Adam Ivy and we've been trying to really just observing the the landscape right now seeing what like the super popular artists seeing what the trend is when it comes to them and trying to find a way where we could you know use that kind of traction but still manipulate it to where it looks more like us Mm. so whether that's like the marketing strategies of like olivia rodrigo now who's doing a lot of different campaigns whether it's like you know going to a car wash and promoting your album or or up to like taylor swift levels where it comes to like all the different aesthetics and the different you know themes that she gives all of her albums we're kind of trying to find a way where we can incorporate all that kind of professionalism but also uh, make it our own with our own creative style fantastic I, another one i wanted to throw out there was uh, simon tam i don't know if you've heard of him but he's uh he's got his stuff all over the place uh, i saw him at cd baby a couple of years ago mm-hmm. um and his band did things like a band profile on Yelp and reviewed restaurants as they toured and they got themselves on a sake bottle and got it with a download code and end up ended up getting the sake bottle into Costco because it, it it got uh, so many uh, units moved and yeah he's just ridiculous in terms of out of the box thinking yeah I, I think he's got like three or four books so definitely worth checking out definitely. one thing that really inspires me talking to younger artists is the fact that you're you've grown up in you know you did you ever download an mp3 i did yeah a little bit I did. once in a while i've i i come from cassettes you know and <laughs> 
buying tons and tons of CDs. So I've seen the transition through the whole download phase from physical media. And I just, I just like, I, I kind of get inspired because you guys don't really have the, the jadedness and the mindset of that old model. You, you're really coming into it as things, I mean, everything's going to still continue to change, but you're, you're really getting in it at the right time mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, not having to worry about the old models. But from your perspective, I mean, if, if somebody of an older generation starts talking about, you know, the, how, how things were, and I presume you've heard all about how deals have been constructed in the past and how, how the industry was, like, what's your perspective on it, you know, having not grown up with that? I think there's a lot of things, you know, that can still sort of be applied. I mean, I've heard a lot of people say, I like the old school method of, you know, shipping out and mailing out just, you know, CDs with their music on it to give to people, Mm. uh, you know, to heads of A&Rs for labels and stuff. But I think, you know, we are constantly trying to not only look at what has worked in the past, but what people are predicting will work in the future. You know, and there are people who will daily say, this is what's working on Instagram right now. This is what's working Mm. on YouTube right now. And following that, how it changes day to day is, um, this is very difficult and it's hard Mm -hmm. to, hard to manage, especially when you have, you know, thousands, if not millions of people around the world trying to do the exact same thing. Totally. You know, it's, you know, it's all about finding a way to stand out and maybe looking back at how people used to do it in the sixties and seventies, maybe that is one way to stand out, but it's also about looking at what's going to work, you know, now in this century. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I've interviewed one, one particular artist comes to mind is John Otway. So, I mean, if past listeners have heard, heard that episode, he was around in the seventies, he's had over a 50 year career, but he was, he was a pioneer of, of crowdfunding. Like he, his whole model has been getting a, an audience to do things like in, in the UK, the charts are completely different, at least before download started. And you know how the the country is so small that he could get a group of his fans to go buy the copies in the in the record stores and actually get in the chart um you know mm-hmm. before they started counting all the digital sales and that that's in essence what crowdfunding is is mm-hmm. is just getting your fan base to do a thing yeah and have it affect your maybe it's your sales maybe it's your marketing however you do it but Stuff like that really, you know, I love to pay attention to that. Like, you know, Alice Cooper, they drove a, an advertising truck through Piccadilly Square advertising his new album and it mm. broke down in rush hour traffic. I mean, right. you know, there's also all sorts of stuff. You Like you said, you can go back and look and see these little things people have done to actually try and get their message across and make a splash. It doesn't have to be all about Spotify playlists and you know, Instagram, it can be all sorts of different weird stuff. So that's, that's fantastic. Let's talk about your writing process. Are you, are you one of those bands that kind of prefer to do everything as a unit and be in the practice room? Or have you done a lot of file sharing during the pandemic? How's it, how's it been working for you? The way it usually works is I'll, I'll, we'll start it off of one person's idea. So Mm. usually for like the past two albums, it's been a progression or, or, like a full song 
that I've come up with, and then I'll send it to Sam and see what he thinks. And then Sam will add his take on, on drums and bass, and then we'll bring it to uh, Joey and Alex, where we can... Mm. Then we come in as a full unit and we flush things out um, and add little details and things like that. But usually it's it's sort of us two trying to, to flesh out the ideas and then mm-hmm. Joey and Alex kind of add their own flair at the end. Fantastic. So, you, so you're not worried too much about walking into the practice room and looking at everyone's faces and say, so what do we do now? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's those off days, but uh, usually we're okay. Awesome. So I like to do a little segment called the non-quickfire question round, where I ask the same questions. What is one significant negative experience you've overcome, and what did it teach you? Oh, oh it's quickfire, damn. Uh, non-quickfire. Like band? As a band or like individually? <laughs> it's, it's up to you how, how you want to interpret the question. It can be life, can be music, can be whatever. Uh, I mean, when we first formed as a band... We were, you know, when we were still writing our first album, you know, there were a lot of, a lot of struggles with, you know, coming up or, you know, thinking about what we're going to be doing with our music. You know, I think we weren't very proud with how we were writing and what we were writing Mm. in the early stages of the band. You know, we'd record something that we'd think, yeah, this is good. And then we listen to it later and say, you know, maybe this just wasn't our best. And we had a lot of that uh, when writing the first album. And I think, you know, it just took time and patience to realize what kind of writing style worked for us what process was gonna produce the best product Mm. and so i think we've gotten to the point now where we may still have those days where we aren't proud of something we've wrote but we know how to move past it easier Mm -hmm. awesome do you do you ever find yourself looking at reworking songs that you've already recorded and just playing them differently live yeah Yeah. i mean we did that we did that with, with Crook off the first album. It's recorded one way, but when we played it live at the Stone Pony, of, oh gosh, like two years ago, mm-hmm. uh, we played it a little bit differently just so there's a little bit more of like higher energy mm-hmm. and tension sort of to build it up because it was our opener song. And when we played it that way, we realized we liked it a lot better that way, but obviously the song is already out, so there's only so much you can do in those situations. But I think it's always cool to have a studio version and a live version to be able to play just because listening to a song in your car is a lot different than than hearing it being performed live in front of you. So it's always cool to have that kind of the the variation because it helps to also, you know, convince people that, hey, you should see us live anyway, even if you like the songs recorded, because you might like them live in a different sense, too. So even now, I mean, we're, we have a few songs we put out that we're planning on putting out for our third album that we're, you know, constantly working on and, and trying mm. to see if there's different changes that we should make just to make it sound more cohesive or to make the mood sound a little bit different or whatever it may be. But we always, you know, it's always, you know, constant, ever-changing things like that. That's, that's great. And a lot of times people have the mindset that an album is just a timestamp. It's a, it's, a re- it's a record of that time. So there's there's no reason why the new version can't live on a a live CD or a, or mm-hmm. you know another another reworking of it for a B side or something you know B sides that used to exist back in the yeah. day. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so, what major positive experience has given you the push to follow this journey? Yeah. I don't know if it's. And ex- I mean, it happens consistently with the same kind of experience, but it's more of like a feeling whenever we play shows or, or really whenever we're with family and friends. 
it's kind of this feeling that they really do like what we're doing and they all seem to seem they all very much support it a lot and that's not something easy to come by we know that so there are so many people that we know you know are out there that say that their parents you know didn't support the career choice and things like that so knowing that all of our family members and all of our friends you know will come out to the shows or will come over afterwards and just talk about how much they love the show and things like that the feeling you get when you you know when you're surrounded by that kind of people in that kind of environment it's very warm and motivating so I mean it's probably like the most positive we can get and it's you know a hell of a lot of motivation to continue it that's awesome yeah that's really good to hear so what is one piece of advice that you would give uh, other musicians usually I say looking to make a living but just I'd say what is one piece of advice you would give a musician and other musicians looking to pursue their passion I guess it would be that you just have to, uh, it's going to sound corny, but you, you do have to have the the mental strength to just keep pushing through because, you know, some people will get lucky when they turn 20. Some people will get lucky when they turn 40. I mean, it's different for everyone depending on what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So really, it's if you really love doing music, then you just have to put in the work to, you know, find ways to make money doing it and find ways to keep loving what you're doing. And maybe that's, you know, finding, uh, you know, new things to do, trying new things, or just, you know, sticking to what you know you love. Absolutely. Fantastic. Actually, speaking of uh, making money, have you guys looked into sync licensing? Yeah. So we're looking into a lot of different ways to to get our music to a point where we can uh, live off of it, even though we are considerably young. So we looked into sync licensing. We look into, you know, college performances and and <laughs> wedding shows and things like that um just, just, because, yeah. <laughs> just because you know a show is a show so if you get paid right. that's always that's always a plus but i think our major goal is to sort of you know put out music to to an audience that eventually mm. you know is so engaged that they will consistently stream and then they'll consistently ask you to come to their city and play a show and consistently want to buy your merch and mm. so you can be an established artist in the in the traditional sense just because you know being able to say yeah i have thousands of people who want to see me thousands of people who want to rep my name on their clothing is always like an amazing privilege so it's, so you know obviously we're striving for that but in today's world there's so many different ways you can make music mm. and so many different ways you can make money from your music so whether it's sync licensing or college shows or wedding shows i think we're just kind of trying to cultivate and continue loving what we're doing and you know when the money comes that's just sort of like a plus right yeah i mean i i bring this up way too too many times than i really should but i i just think sync licensing is is an untapped resource for a lot of musicians just because they don't really know about it and this podcast is sponsored by Ignite Your Music Career. Mm-hmm. So if you look back at episode 90, Craig Dodge runs a course and he is somebody who, who writes for music, you know, music for games and film and TV and stuff. And the one the one thing I get out of, of changing your mindset when you're recording music is to have all those ideas that you have that you like, oh, what if we change this? And what if we change that? And you have different variations you know sometimes that that's counterproductive to to finishing your album but 
from a sync licensing standpoint, mm -hmm. you end up having all these different versions that you can use as cues. Yeah. And then from one track, you can maybe make 20, 25, 30 different tracks that are all individually licensable and registrable so that, you know, said TV producer wants or music, the music supervisor wants all these different cues that sound similar. And you can mm -hmm. get that from one song just by messing with the, the stems and rearranging stuff. Um, I mean, it's work, but it, it's yeah. it's a good. I think it's a really cool way of of exploring your versions that that everyone has and actually making use of it rather than just sitting on a hard drive somewhere. Absolutely, yeah. All right. So the last question is: What does music mean to you? Oh, <laughs> oh. Uh, I think the fact that that both of us have chosen music as, you know, our career, you know, even though we don't know how exactly we're going to make a living off of it right now, we know this is what we want to do. So that really just shows how much music means to us. It's, you know, we can't, you know, we can't, we don't, we feel like we can't live without it. Mm -hmm. You know, if we did, we would be doing it as a side hobby or something, but you know, this is what we want to do. Yeah. It's what we want to be the central part of our life. Yeah, it's definitely like um, more of, it's like the strongest desire you could think of, but in the sense of like, it's a necessity uh -huh. sort of to pursue it. So, I mean, <laughs> you could describe it in thousands of different words or just the one, but it's always going to remain, you know, the most important thing. That's fantastic. That that I mean that more than anything will take you a long way. Just just mm -hmm. having that drive. So that's that's fantastic to hear. All right. So if people want to get in touch and listen to your music, where can they go? Screen Age Band on all different social media like Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and Screen Age on YouTube or TikTok. And just search Screen Age on all streaming platforms. Fantastic. Oh, one question I didn't ask you that I f I forgot about. Is someone a Muse fan? Did the did the did the band name come from the Muse song? Uh, that is, that is so. When we got so we had a few different names before we released our first album, and pretty much right before we released it, we were looking at new band names, and I think we googled a list of like interesting <laughs> words, like interesting modern words, <laughs> and the word screenager was on there, and. I none of us, you know, thought to think of the Muse song, and it wasn't until like a few weeks later when I was scrolling through, and I was like, "Oh, yeah, that's the name of a song." But I mean, I think we just chose it because, you know, we thought that the word "screen age" or "screenager" is pretty resonant with you know how we live our lives in front of a computer Absolutely. screen, and that was even you know before COVID. That was mm -hmm. before we did everything in front of a computer screen. Right. But yeah, no, no relation, no uh, purposeful relation well, we to the music. We, we do, is, we do love these. Yeah, I mean, it it actually reminds me of that Moby video, the 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 cartoon where the the kids walking around trying to get people's attention. Mm -hmm. So that's actually kind of a morbid video if you think about it. But... <laughs> yeah. All right, at the end of the interview, I do like to play a, a song from the artist I'm interviewing. So what song can we hear? Um, think again. Sure, think again is probably a good one. And what's that one about? Or is there any, uh, or is there any stories behind the recording or writing of it? I think again was the first song we wrote for DNR. We wrote it a long time ago, and we played it live like 
two, three years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and it's changed a lot since the first since the first writing. Mm -hmm. But this one is essentially about childhood in, in the seven stages of life. And the lyrics kind of talk about, you know, the carefree mindset you have as a child. And the mood of the track is very, you know, upbeat and, and sort of like a summer kind of song that you would listen to when you're driving down the coast on a convertible kind of thing. So it's probably one of my favorites. And it has like a really cool, like sort of bossa nova style in the in the in the chorus. Mm. And there's some pretty pretty jazzy backups in the background. So pretty happy with that one. Yeah. All right. Fantastic. Yeah, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Yeah, I look forward to seeing, you know, you guys progress because, like I said, I think you've got a really good sound. It's it's really well produced and written. So I think you guys are going to go a long way. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I'd really appreciate it if you would leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform as this really helps get the word out about the podcast so other musicians can benefit from the awesome knowledge that my guests are sharing. The more the musicians' community collectively learns, the stronger we will become. A rising tide lifts all ships. This episode is sponsored by the Skinny Armadillo Printing Company in Fort Worth, Texas, offering a full range of apparel decoration and promotional items, such as screen printing, embroidery, laser engraving, and much more. The Skinny Armadillo is now offering a merch fulfillment service, including on-demand printing and a custom-built web store, so you can concentrate on your music and running your business as a musician. Visit theskinnyarmadillo.com or call 817-546-1430 to learn how the Skinny Armadillo can help you take your merch to the next level. Keep pushing the needle and be excellent to each other. This is Screen Age with Think Again.